We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All systems are go. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Van Vliet! Oh, it is so good to see you, my friends. Welcome back to another audio adventure here on Insight. I'm CVV Chris Van Vliet. Thank you so much for being with us. This conversation today has been a long time in the making. Lewis Howes has one of the best podcasts in the world, and he just celebrated his 10-year anniversary with The School of Greatness. That's what it's called. I've been listening to it religiously for the last five years and following Lewis's journey on social media and on YouTube, and I'm just so glad we were able to sit down in person in Los Angeles to make this happen, and it's such an inspiring interview. Lewis is also a New York Times bestselling author. He's a keynote speaker and a former pro athlete, and his new book is out today called The Greatness Mindset, Unlock the Power of Your Mind and Live Your Best Life Today. And there's so many great takeaways from this and a lot of things that you could start doing today to start shifting your mindset. So grab Lewis's book on his website, lewishouse.com. You can also check out his podcast while you're there. Or you can check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. Snap a screenshot. Let us know that you're listening to this and tag us. It's just our names. He is at Lewis Howes. I'm at Chris Van Vliet and Vegasin132. Hey, I appreciate you for leaving this review on Apple Podcasts because Lewis will tell you this. Reviews on Apple Podcasts are a pretty important thing when you're a podcaster. So for someone to take 34 seconds out of their day to do this, that means a lot. This one says, hey, bro, I love your show, and it's great that you go in-depth with the stars. Instead of talking about stuff that's you know just about their career, you talk about life. So thank you for that. Love from Vegas, Christian. Appreciate you. And if you leave a review, I'll read it out on the show. So if you have left a review and it's been a while, go in there, update a few words, add an emoji, whatever it is. It'll bring that to the top, and we'll see it there, and we'll shout you out on the show. All right, let's do this. Please welcome Lewis House. Lewis, thank you so much for coming by. My man, thanks for having me. Glad we're doing this in person. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Just two Ohio guys sitting here. So <laughs> you're from Ohio? Yes. So I'm originally from Toronto. Uh-huh. But neighbor. My, the neighbor of the North. That's right. Canada's America's hat. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I first moved to America, Ohio, Cleveland was my first city. Nice. That was my first American TV market. So for me, that's like that's good. my American home. How old were you when you moved there? I was 26. All right. I lived there for five years. That's good, man. And I've moved, I've moved around a lot. Yeah. It's cold there, though, man. 
Cleveland has got that wind and that snow. Let me and, tell you. No, man. How long have you been in L.A. now? 11, 12 years. Everybody has an L.A. story. Uh -huh. So what's your L.A. story? Oh, man, story? my interesting. I moved here for a girl. And the day I landed, so I was living in New York, living the dream. I was playing uh, with the New York City handball team. I was running my business virtually from there. Uh, I was doing webinars and online seminars back then. You were the LinkedIn guy. LinkedIn and yeah. then doing marketing with webinars and creating courses. So no one really knew what this was in 2010, right? Everyone now knows with Zoom and, and webinars and things like that now in 2020, but I was doing it 10 years prior. And um, so I could travel around. I just needed a laptop to make money sure, and build yeah. my business and I could be anywhere. And I was in New York City living the dream, just like in awe of the city and like every day was magic, meeting people, having fun. And um, I was I moved there to go play with the New York City handball team to pursue my goal and dream of playing with the US ha a handball team and making it to the Olympics one day. Long story short, never made it to the Olympics, but did make the USA team, was with the team for about eight years, haven't played in a couple of years with them. Anyways, meet a girl, and she had just moved to LA. We're kind of dating long distance at the time for, I don't know, four or five, six months. Yeah. And she is like, I really want to date someone like in my city, and I don't want to do long distance anymore. And she had done that in the past. And I was like, well, I can come travel here like two weeks out of the month. I can work for my laptop, but I want to stay in New York. And she was like, no, nah, I really think we should do it. Like, try it. And, and I was kind of like resistant and frustrated because I told myself I would never move for a girl. And I was like, you know what? I don't want to regret this. Let me at least like give it a shot. Right. So I let go of my place in New York. I had not, didn't have much anyways. I had two suitcases, a guitar and a laptop. Got on a flight one way to LA. I had no place to stay. I was just <laughs> renting like an Airbnb for a week. No apartment yet. I land. She breakups me. The minute I land. Oh, my God. And I would go, what is going on? I just moved my life across the country yeah. for this girl that I said I would never move for a girl for. This is why. Wow. And uh, we ended up getting back together, I think, the next like day or two or whatever. But it was just like this emotional roller coaster for the first six months. And I hated L.A. because of that. I was like, man, why did I do this? I should be in New York. But it was a beautiful journey for me to rediscover myself, reinvent myself. And start kind of mending and healing some things that that were breaking down in my life. So that first year was a big eye-opening journey and a reflection for me to start opening up in different ways. Uh, you know, the girl didn't work out, but being in L.A. Yeah. eventually worked out. It's working and out. Now, and now I love it here. I'm fascinated by the idea that, like, things in life happen for a reason. Mm -hmm. Like The Rock one time told me, like, the, sometimes the best things in life are the things that don't happen. Right. And this is... Like per this is a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. You move out here. What if things had worked out, you know, oh, the man. way they were supposed to work? No, nah, then I wouldn't have gone on this journey. That's I wouldn't exactly have, it. I started the school of greatness because of the breakdown, because of all the. That was one of the things, along with other a business breakdown I was having, other relationship breakdowns I was having, and just like L.A. not working for me at the time. Mm. I realized I was the common denominator of all the breakdowns in my life, so it was a perfect opportunity to step back, look at the mirror, look myself in the mirror and say, well, who are you? Yeah. Why are you causing these things to happen? If you're the source of your life, why are these things showing up in your life? Right. And I really went down a journey for the next year and a half of working on myself, healing, developing, going to workshops, coaching, therapy, just reimagining what life could be. I hit 30 
around that time. And I said, okay, I've got to learn. I have a lot to learn. Whereas I thought I knew a lot. I was successful in sports and then in business, but emotionally I was breaking down. Mentally I was breaking down yeah. and I was making decisions without the best um, wisdom, right? And so I was causing a lot of breakdown. And uh, this journey, the first year and a half being in LA was beautiful where I was stuck in traffic in LA, kind of like on my way here. That's why I was a few minutes behind, unfortunately. I, I apologize. That now, yeah, no, quite I, all right. I apologize. And I, but I was stuck in LA traffic during this time. And I remember just feeling like everyone in the cars around me were like screaming and honking and flipping people off or cutting them off. And I was like, this is kind of how I feel in my life right now, stuck. And it was literally no joke during the time when I was in traffic going two miles for an hour yeah. where I was like, oh, man, there's gotta be something I can do with my life right now where I'm feeling like stuck in transition that I can help me improve. There's something I'm missing. There's something I don't know. I thought I knew what to do. It got me certain results, but I'm still not feeling fulfilled or happy or peaceful inside. And I go, maybe I could start this podcast thing. I just started hearing about podcasts. This was in 2012 at the time. So you're like an OG podcaster. Yeah. yeah. This was, this was early days of podcasting in 2012, end of 2012. And I, and I, and I knew two people that had a podcast. So I called both of them during this car ride, stuck in traffic. And I just asked them about it. Hey, what's this? How's it going for you? They just started it maybe six months prior. Both of them said they loved it. It was a thing they enjoyed doing the most. They're having the most fun. Um, and they love hearing the responses from people listening. And I go, well, maybe I could reinvent myself by going on a personal journey, mm. by reaching out to the people that I know and business and sports and, and all these different areas and have them kind of teach me how to get unstuck. And maybe people would listen in traffic, like driving around LA or whatever in the world, stuck in traffic yeah. and it would help them in their life as well. And that is where the idea came from feeling stuck and trapped and broken down in my life. And it's been, uh, I just hit 10 year anniversary a few weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you, man. And it's been a beautiful journey of doing a show for myself to learn and improve and then saying, hey, hopefully others want to hear it and it, it works for them too. And it's been a beautiful ride. The interesting thing about podcasting is these conversations are so intimate. Yes. And even when people are listening to them, it's very intimate. They're either listening with just AirPods in or in their car by themselves, like, Listening to podcasts is not a group activity. No. It's something that it's it's a one-on-one -on -one thing. We're right now speaking into the eardrums of somebody listening to this. And the cool thing about that is your personal conversations that you're having and the things that you're finding out along this journey, other people are able to find those things out in real time along with you. Yes. And through this whole thing, you've become the greatness guy. Mm -hmm. Why is why is greatness so attractive to you? Well, because I was driven by success. That was what I wanted my whole life. I wanted to succeed, but I was driven to succeed based out of a wound, based out of a need, which was a need to be liked, to be accepted, to be seen, to be acknowledged, to be loved, to fit in, to belong. And it was coming from an unhealthy need. It was coming from a wound. There was a wound inside of me that needed something to feel safe and protected mm. because I didn't know how to protect myself emotionally and mentally. So therefore I was, I would, 
work so hard to accomplish my goals. But most of it was to prove people wrong or to fit in. And when I would accomplish it 20, 30 minutes afterwards, I would be kind of let down and have an expectation hangover and almost get angrier after I would accomplish these goals. And I would spend 5, 10, 15 years on a goal until mm -hmm. it happened. So I was willing to do whatever it took, but I didn't get the feeling I wanted once I accomplished it. Do you have an it. example of like when you really chased after yeah, it happened? Yeah, I mean, my first, I was a two-sport All-American, and my first All-American, I guess, award was in the decathlon. Uh, but I remember dreaming about it when I was five. You know, I was watching TV with my dad, watching college football, Ohio State football, and the announcers on TV talking about the All-Americans on the Ohio State football team. And, my, and I'm asking my dad, what does that mean? And yeah. he was like, these are the best in the nation. Yeah. This is what you strive to become if you're going to go pursue that goal. And I wasn't really like into football at five. I was just kind of watching it, but I, I loved sports. I didn't know what sport I would play. I started, I ended up playing football when I was 15, but, but I had the chance to pursue the decathlon in college. And that's where I made my first all American team. Um, it's one of the top decathletes in the country. And then I did it the next year in football. But I remember after decathlon, I was on the podium with like the award at the national championships. They call your name, Lewis Howes, all American decathlon. I'm like, emotional excited yeah, getting this a is chills. The moment. i walk up there i get it and i'm really excited and then i'm with my family and teammates and coaches at dinner an hour later and i'm kind of like don't want to be around anyone i'm kind of frustrated i'm kind of angry and i didn't know why until later i realized huh i thought i was supposed to feel something better feel seen and accepted or loved, which I was by others, but I still didn't love and accept and see myself. Mm. So I said, okay, I need to go get more success. I need bigger goals. Like this isn't enough. And I just kept doing that in sports. I was, you know, in football the next year. Then I played professional football, arena football, then with the USA national handball team. And for whatever reason, like I was proud of what I was creating, but it still didn't, it felt like something was missing. And yeah. I truly didn't accept and love myself for all that I was doing and everything I overcame. I just kept saying, it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. So there was a wound inside of me that caused me to be driven to succeed, but still not from a healthy place. Yeah. And then I said, okay, let me try this in business, did this in business, you know, started getting awards and accomplishments and making money, building an audience. And it still wasn't enough. And it wasn't until I hit 30 and this whole breakdown in life where I realized I had been going about success the wrong way. And success, there's nothing wrong with success. Success is fine. But success by itself is typically a selfish endeavor. Right. I want to win. I want to look good. I want to be right. I want to be number one. I want to succeed for me, to make me feel good. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But I just don't think it's sustainable long term. Mm unless we start thinking about greatness. So the difference between success and greatness is success is for us to accomplish. Greatness is for us to accomplish all of our goals and dreams and succeed at them and also empower and lift up others around us. Kobe talked about this when I interviewed him. It's like greatness is doing something you love fully, using your gifts and talents, 
but making an impact on the people around you, elevating them, lifting them up in the process. And a success mindset by itself, if we're defining it in this context, a success mindset is typically win-lose. I win, that means someone else has to lose. Mm. As opposed to greatness mindset is I win and you win. Maybe it's in different ways, but it's creating an environment of win-win with the people in your life. It's elevating others. It's seeing others succeed with you. Now, I get it in sports. There might be a winner and a loser on the scoreboard and things like that, but it's still how do we create the energy and the environment of win-win with our competitors and making it more about respect and things like that yeah. as opposed to being this lonely island of success. Right. So that's where it started to transition for me. I was like, okay, I've been wanting success my whole life and getting it, but it's not working fully internally. Externally, I'm getting results. Yeah. Internally, I don't feel something's off. I don't feel enough still. So let me start figuring out this greatness thing. That was 10 years ago. And for everything for me was like, I'm going to do the opposite of what I've done. Before I made it all about me, now I'm going to make it about others. It was the school of greatness with me, but I was always shining the light on other people. Right. I was not trying to be the expert. I was trying to learn and humble myself in front of all the experts. And after 10 years, it's been a beautiful journey because I have continued to succeed by lifting and elevating others, by being in collaboration versus competition, and by truly being happy for when others accomplish their goals. You've been doing the show for 10 years, almost 1,400 episodes as we yep. sit here right now, and you've talked to people who are the best of the best at whatever it is that they do, whether they're athletes or uh, entrepreneurs, comedians, whatever it is. What's the one thing that they all seem to have in common in terms of achieving greatness? They've got a clear mission, and I call it a meaningful mission. You know, and there's no Olympic gold medalist that just said, oh, I did this by accident. Right. You know, there's no world champion that, that gets there by accident. They're very clear on what their meaningful mission is. It's the first thing I talk about in the book where if you don't know in one sentence what your life's mission is for this season of life, then you're not going to get there. So again, when I was on my sister's couch, I don't know, 15 years ago or something, I couldn't think beyond that season, which was, I just want to make enough money to get my own apartment. Yeah. So you were living at your sister's <clears throat> house, exactly. sleeping on her couch. Yeah. And that's all I could think. I wasn't like, I'm going to change the world or make yeah. a ton of money. I was like, I just need to get my own apartment. What can I do yeah. during this season in order to make that happen? I was clear on my, my direction. Uh, now I have a different mission. It's to serve and impact a hundred million lives weekly to help them improve the quality of their life. This is your one sentence right now? This is my one sentence that I've had for many years now. Yeah. And being clear on my meaningful mission allows me to say yes and no to things that either support the mission or might distract the mission, allow me to stay focused and be excited every day about what I'm creating because there's something that I'm, that I'm pursuing. There's a direction I'm heading to. It allows me to get clear on who's going to be in my team, who's going to be in my community, who am I going to hire? in order to support that mission. Again, if we're not clear on exactly where we're heading, we'll never get there. Right. And so all of the greats in all the, the fields and industries out there, they're very clear on their meaningful mission. And they're also, I believe true greatness is about being of service. Success is for us, service is for others. 
And I believe true fulfillment and joy comes when you have a service mentality. Yeah. It does it means you can go after all your goals and dreams and win and succeed, but how can we lift and inspire others up in the process around us? And that's when I really respect people and I believe they're striving for greatness when they incorporate solving problems for others, lifting others up, you know, inspiring the people around them in their life along with their journey. And I love how you're talking about how this just doesn't happen by accident. Mm -hmm. And I think too often in the world that we're living, we see someone who's successful in social media and they go, well, it must be easy for them. Must be nice to be born with that or gifted with that. And people don't see the struggles mm -hmm. along the way that exist. For you, in these last 10 years, what has been the biggest struggle? Learning to heal my past. I think there was a lot of pains and wounds and insecurities and doubts that I was afraid to face and look at. And so I would compensate by trying to be a better athlete, by trying to be a better entrepreneur, by trying to make more money or do certain things. I would compensate to project an image that I wanted people to see. Mm but I was living in shame and insecurity and doubt around what I knew about myself, thinking that if anyone knew these things about me, they wouldn't like me, they would unfollow me, they wouldn't buy from me, they wouldn't accept me, they wouldn't love me. And so it was the, the fear of facing all the shames from the earliest memories up until now, the things that I was most afraid of, insecure of, and ashamed of. Mm. And once I started to face all of those things and address them and process them in a healthy way through different therapies and modalities, it literally, like I had a pain in my chest off and on for most of my life. Mm. And it went away a couple of years ago when I truly said, I'm going to face this fully, when I'm going to go all in to the darkness and create new meaning around the pain that caused me to feel this way. And when I did that, that's when everything started to unlock in a whole new way. Mm. It started to flow my relationships because I had peace inside of me and I still have this peace and it's beautiful. It doesn't mean I don't, you know, deal with stressful moments or there's not challenges to face, but I face it from a place of peace inside of me and calm versus pain inside of me and reaction. Mm. And that has been... That was the hardest thing to do over the last decade, and it's been a journey of creating new meaning around memories that used to hurt me. Mm. So I've been listening to your show for about five years. Mm -hmm. It was pretty big at the time yeah. when I found it in 2018. It has blown up yeah. since. What do you attribute that to? I got a great team. You know, I got a great team that I, that I found and invested in who are skilled beyond what I have skills around. And I tried to do it all on my own or I, with a couple I'm people. I'm right. I tried. For the first five years, I was doing it with like a, a very small team of a few of us. And I was taking on everything. I wanted the control of, you know, I, I also learned all these things, email marketing, text marketing, social media marketing, content creation, interview content, creating courses, sales pages, being the, the one doing the webinars, creating the webinars. Like, I had to learn all these things early on, so it was natural for me to do it because I knew how to do it. Yeah. 
uh, it wasn't until about really three to five years ago, I started to realize that I was, I was limiting myself. I was holding myself back from how far we could scale and the impact we could get into. And so I've always had great coaches and mentors over the years. And all of them say that if you want to reach this 100 million lives a week, you can't do it on your own. You need to find, invest, and train and, and build leaders around you who can support you in you doing what you do best and letting go of the rest mm. uh, and really empowering people, which was hard for me to do. So learning the skill of letting go, trusting yeah. when it's your name, when it's your brand, when it's your face, all those things, it's not just like some you know, physical product without my name on it. It's, it's my reputation sure. also. Yeah. And so learning to let go and not trying to be a perfectionist about things as well has been a transition over the last five years and building the team. Uh, that has been the thing, you know, I feel like our team is amazing and they allow it to reach and impact more lives. And so I've had to learn, but I have a coach in every area of my life to support me. I have an emotional coach that I meet with every two weeks, uh, uh, a nutritionist coach, uh, a workout coach, a business coach. I have coaches in every areas because I believe, and I'll probably have like a, you know, a marriage coach when I get married. I'll probably have like a, a fatherhood coach when I become a father. Because, I'm going to need one of those. Because I believe, I believe if I believe how do we expect ourselves to be great at everything? Yeah. Especially if we don't have the skills, the tools, or the training to be effective at all these different levels. And Kobe and LeBron and, and Jordan and all these guys, when they got to their first championship, they didn't say, thanks for getting me here, coach. I don't need you anymore. Yeah. I'm gonna go win one on my own next year. Don't worry about it. Yeah. You don't have to coach me. You got me here, but I don't need you anymore. They actually went and hired other specialists, other coaches. Tom Brady, same way. Yeah hire other trainers and coaches to support them in any little deficiencies to help them improve yeah. and they invest more novak djokovic does this as well he's got a whole team of coaches that support him in lots of different ways and he stays at the top in a big way so why do we think we can just enter into marriage enter into fatherhood enter into navigating our emotions on a daily basis all on our own yeah. and run a, a career and run a business and stay healthy I just think it's wise and we don't need to invest and hire all these coaches, but finding people, a personal advisory board of people who have done it before you yeah. finding other father figures and have them to lean on them. It's like, yeah. so support groups. I just think that's wise. I remember watching this docu-series called Tom versus time. Was, yes. Powerful. Have you seen it? Yeah. So great. good. So and good. And it's funny because it was on Facebook Watch, and I don't think a lot of people have seen it. I know. It's so, so good. There was one moment that really stood out for me. He's with his quarterback coach. Mm. And his quarterback coach says, people don't come to me to get a lot better. They come to me to get 1% better. Yes. And think of Tom Brady, the greatest of all time, is trying to get 1% better. It's amazing. That blew my mind. It's amazing. So there's going to be people that are going to listen to what you said about finding a mentor or a coach, and they're going to go, yeah, that's great for you, Lewis, uh, if you have the money to do it. But I don't have the money. When I started out, I didn't have the money. I was on my sister's couch, but I found these personal advisors and mentors who they believed in me and they believed in me because I was willing to do whatever they said. Mm. The worst thing you can do is reach out to someone and say, can you give me some advice? That's the worst thing to do. Instead of that, reach out to someone and say, 
it's amazing what you've done and what you've accomplished. I'd love to hear your story of success and how you overcame your biggest obstacle. Yep. People love to talk about their success, but they don't want to give advice because giving advice to someone who doesn't take action is exhausting. So I found some great mentors early on and I just said, I will do whatever you tell me to do. And then I would report back when I did it. That's I would, huge. I would not ask for, I would not ask for any of their time. I would not check in with them unless I took extreme action and typically failed a lot and figuring out, okay, I did these things. Here's what I figured out. What do you, what do you have next for me? What's yeah. the next step I should do? And then it would tell me, and I would just go do it every single week on repeat. And then I'd come back to them. And that was a powerful relationship for me because I got wisdom from older men who had had success in different areas of life that I was looking for. Yeah. And they were able to share wisdom of what worked for them and see someone actually take action. The worst thing you can do is waste someone's time and not take action. And I think that you can either find a way or you can find an excuse. Yeah. And you can't do both. And I always have people that hit me up and go, oh, how do you start a podcast? How do you start a YouTube channel? How do you do this or that? I'm sure it happens to you yeah. all the time. And I tell people, you've just got to start. And most people won't actually take that first step mm -hmm. to actually hit record and make it happen. I know, man. And it blows my mind. There, well, there's three fears that hold people back from taking these actions. Uh, and I'm a big believer that self-doubt is the killer of all dreams. Mm -hmm. When we doubt ourselves, it holds us back from acting, from taking action, from doing something and taking the step. There's so many people that I'm sure you've heard, like I've heard, who, you know, I've written a couple of books and people come to me and say, Lewis, I've had an idea for a book. I've always wanted to do it, but I just don't know what to do. And I say, how long have you been thinking about this idea for a book? Yeah. I don't know, seven years, 10 years. I'm like, what? You've been thinking about this thing. It's been on your mind for 10 years and you can't do it. Yeah. Why? It's because they doubt themselves and the doubt cripples people from acting, from taking that step. And so over the last 10 years, I really wanted to study why people doubt themselves and what is the cause of self-doubt. Because I believe if we can get to the root of it and overcome it, we can take action towards our goals and our dreams and we can step into our greatness. There's three fears. The fear of failure is one. The fear of success is two. And the fear of judgment is three. When I go into big rooms and speak, I'll ask people, raise your hand if you've ever been afraid of failure. Most of the room raises their hand. Sure. And everybody else is a liar. Exactly, <laughs> right? And, and as an athlete growing up, I was trained by my coaches that failure is okay. It's a part of the process. It's, it's the you learn from the failures. You get feedback to help you improve. Yeah. And the greatest baseball players of all time fail 70% of the time, right. right? Michael Jordan missed, I don't know, half more than half of his shots. Yep. Um, so you have to understand that you're never going to be perfect, even if you're the greatest in the world. And failure is a necessary part of success, but most people are afraid of it, and therefore they don't act. Success is number two, fear. And when I ask people, raise your hand if you've ever been afraid of success, almost as many people raise their hand, which always kind of shocked me when I started asking this because I wanted success and I was willing to do what it took to get there. And these people were coming to an event to learn about how to be more successful, but they were afraid of it. Mm -hmm. So when you're afraid of something, why would it come to you? Why would you attract something you're afraid of? You're going to resist it 
or you're going to sabotage success if you're afraid of it. So we have to learn why we're afraid of it, where that comes from and what the root cause is, which I'll get to in a second. But as I started to ask people like, why be afraid of success when it's something you want? There, there's an amazing documentary called The Weight of Gold that's about Olympic medalists that it's a sad documentary, but it's amazing and fascinating in understanding the psychology of human beings. It's about these Olympic gold medalists or medalists that either overdose or commit suicide or go through extreme mental challenges within a year, year and a half after they win. They mm. spent their whole life for a moment to win the gold, this huge dream to be successful. They got it, but they didn't know how to manage the pressure, the weight, the responsibility, the fame, all these things that came with it. People now coming out of the woodwork and asking for money, asking yeah. for favors. And it's, they don't teach you about that, how to navigate and how to manage it. That's why I think we need coaches to support us in these areas that are new to us in life. And there is a pressure. There's also a pressure. There's a, there's a crabs in a bucket story and analogy. I'm not sure if you've heard of this. Yeah, of course. When you got a, a bucket of crabs and one of them tries to get out of the bucket and crawling out, the other crabs will pull them down. Yeah. And sometimes they'll actually break their legs so they cannot escape the bucket. And that's a metaphor for life sometimes. When you left Canada and you went to Ohio, even to small market Cleveland or whatever, there were probably people in your life that were really supportive and were like, go for it, Chris. You got it. This is exciting. There were probably other people saying, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, why are you trying to go do this dream? Why don't you stay here with us? It's comfortable. It's safe. Like, it's, who are you? Who do you think you are? You think you're better than us? Yeah. So you, you, not everyone is that way, but those influences pull you back into complacency, pull you back from your calling. Yeah. So you've got to break through all those different barriers to getting to where you want, but it's challenging. I was never afraid of success because I wanted it, but I wanted it to prove people wrong. I wanted it to look good and to look like I was the man. And so when I would get it, it didn't feel good. It was inauthentic, mm. but I wasn't afraid of it. That wasn't my fear. The third fear, the fear of judgment, was my fear. Mm. What other people said about me, thought about me, and I had this deep wound that I needed to people please as many people as possible. And especially when I started launching like my online business and I would get nasty comments or reviews or tweets or whatever, it's almost like I had to defend myself at everything to get people to know me and like me. And it was exhausting. The fear of judgment drained me. It crippled me. It held me back in a lot of ways from navigating my emotions once I launched things. So I wasn't afraid to launch, but I needed everyone to like it and be okay with me. And it crippled me emotionally until I started to learn the skills mm. of healing the wound. And at the center of all three of these fears, failure, success, and judgment, at the root cause, if you go back to what is that button that causes you to fear uh, one of those things, it is the fear and the, the insecurity that I am not enough. That is at the center of all these fears. I am not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough, talented enough, good enough, worthy enough right. of feeling great, yeah. of the greatness that I deserve. And that comes from the meaning we have given to different experiences, memories, instances in our life from the first memory until now. And so we have to go back, which is extremely painful. This was the hardest thing for me was to face these things, go back, face them 
and address them and process them in a new way, tell a new story, create new meaning. And that's how we move forward with freedom, with power, with grace, with authenticity. Man's Search for Meaning, Viktor Frankl is an amazing book. He went through one of the most horrific experiences a human can go through uh, in the concentration camps. And yet he became free emotionally and mentally later in his life by creating new meaning from those experiences that he witnessed, horrible pain and suffering. But he created new meaning and had a happy, fulfilling life. He could have had a miserable life if he held on to a different meaning. So we've got to learn how to do that for ourselves, and that's some of the hardest work. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I'm a true believer in the quality of your life is the quality of the questions that you ask of other people and also of yourself. And I think that that certainly works when your job is asking questions on a podcast. What's your interview prep look like? I've got a really great team that helps me pre-produce because I'm doing like four to six interviews a week. No way. Uh-huh. And So you like bulk record them? I'm just recording all the time. You're putting out like three episodes episodes a week. week I'm putting out uh, four videos a week, three audios a week. And um, I've got a great team that helps me pre-produce. And we we do a lot of work in terms of like data. What is the science of of like the data saying beforehand? So I already know what the title is going to be before I introduce it. And I find this so fascinating, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but your episode titles don't even have the guest name in them anymore right yeah, now. I know because based on data, you know, we, I don't want people to make a judgment of, I've never seen this person's name. Yeah. So I'm not going to listen to this. Yeah. I don't know who this is. It may not be that good. When I know the content is incredible, right? It's the best it can be. Uh, and we, we make sure that it's the best we can be. And I don't want people to be influenced that way. I want them to be influenced based on what they need. What is the problem they're looking to solve? And they're coming to you because they know you and yes, trust your exactly. judgment. So trust me yeah. that we're going to put out the best thing we can um, and be based more on the topic and the title. Mm. Like lean into this topic. 
And maybe you don't need to learn about this topic or title, and that's okay. But don't make it based on the guest sometimes. That's so smart. But sometimes we will lead with the guest. If it's a massive name that we feel like people, that's what's going to draw people into yep. this and the title on top of it. So a lot of it is seeing what do people need? We're listening to our community constantly. What are the comments they're saying? What are the feedback they're giving? What yeah. is their pain? How can we find the expert or guest to serve and support that pain? From a technical standpoint, when did you decide not to do intros for your podcast anymore? Um, probably, I don't know, about a year and a half ago. Which I think it's an interesting decision because the intro gives context to like, this yep. person is known for this thing and we're going to talk about this. But I think on the flip side of it, you're not wasting anybody's time. It's like, uh -huh. here we go. Let's Why do you right spend like, I don't know, five to seven minutes to just be like, welcome everyone. And here's our guest today. And, you know, of hope course. you're having a great day. Yeah. And I started to, and then based on data, I started to realize maybe this isn't as effective. Mm. And it also just takes a lot of extra time because I would do it afterwards. I would do the interview and then I would do the intro yeah. afterwards. You've got to write that intro. Then you've got All to that record stuff. that yeah. intro. But I also realized... You know, I was looking at the data on YouTube and I was noticing that people would just drop off the longer, if you didn't get into the content right away, yeah. it's just like, boop, people don't care. Yeah. So I started testing that and saying, let's cut this, the intros out on YouTube and just get right to the first question. And we'll put people's names up and their kind of bio up on the video overlay. We'll have it in the description. So all you gotta do is click drop down and you see like a whole yeah. intro and a bio. Um, and the same thing with the audio experience, but it was just kind of like, let's test it out. And it started to work well just by getting right into the hook. What do people need? Let's yeah. answer this question right away. And then I can go back into like backstory and who they are, but let's, let's give as much value upfront as possible. So we've been talking about your book quite a bit. I got it right here. The greatness mindset. What are three things that someone can do right now to adapt a greatness mindset? Well, there's a, you know, I, I think step one is to address where you're at in your life currently. And I'll show you. That's a, a great title, by the way. Thank too. you. I appreciate it. Uh, so there's a, there's a page on 201 that I think everyone can just start with. And I'll just read it. I love that we're going to start the book on 201. Right? Yeah. Well, you know. Well, there's a, there's a thing called the Meaningful Mission, which is the first thing you actually get into in the book. To ask yourself, in one sentence, am I clear on my meaningful mission? Mm. If not, the whole book is designed to support you in discovering what that mission is and what season of life you're in, which fear holds you back the most and causes you to doubt yourself because that is the killer of all dreams. When you can overcome that self-doubt, you can act. How to create a game plan and how to create greatness goals for yourself. But there is a there is two types of mindsets. There's a powerless mindset and a greatness mindset. And when you understand which mindset you're living in most often, then you can start to take direction in a different way. Because if you can live in the greatness mindset more frequently, you're going to unlock more potential. So the powerless mindset, and I have like a little, little chart here in the book, but the powerless mindset is someone who lacks a meaningful mission. So if you're not clear on where you're heading for this period of time, that could be three months, three years, 10 years, if you're not clear where you're heading, you're not going to get there. You're going to feel like you're in no man's land. There's going to be vultures in life coming at you and picking at you and trying to pull you in different directions. And that's not going to be fulfilling. So you, you lack a meaningful mission if you're in a powerless mindset. You're controlled by fear. And a lot of times, I never thought I was afraid because I was 
kind of this big, tough, cocky guy until I hit 30. But I realized that that was a mask of a deep wound and fear inside of me. But I was acting like I wasn't afraid, but I really was. Uh, crippled by self-doubt and insecurities is a powerless mindset. Conceals past pains. This is the most thing about mindset people don't talk about. You hear about growth mindset versus fixed mindset. But I'm a big believer if you hide your shame and your past pains, you don't have to share it with the world, but if you're afraid to talk about it with your closest friends and family, mm. you're living in a powerless state. You're li living in suffering. It may not be extreme, but it's holding you back because you feel like if someone knew these things about me, they want to love me and you're living in fear. So you're, you conceal your past pains. That's powerless. You're defined by the opinions of others. You really care what others think about every move you make is powerless and you drift towards complacency. That's a powerless mindset. Now the greatness mindset. So you just have to ask yourself, do any of these things resonate with me or am I resisting any of these things? And, and maybe not, maybe it's only a little bit and that's okay, but we want to move towards the greatest mindset, which means you're driven by a meaningful mission in one sentence. Are you clear? what your mission is in your life right now. Mm. It doesn't have to be, I'm going to change the world, but what do you want at this season? Yeah. You turn fears into confidence. In the book, we talk about a strategy for creating a fear list in order to become fearless. Mm. Write down all your fears. I've done this many different times in my journey. Write down your fears, and then you go all in on that fear like the Batman that you can be. And living with the fear constantly, overcoming it. Public speaking was my big fear, and I practiced it every week for a year until I felt like I had a lot more confidence. So you want to turn fears into confidence. You overcome your self-doubt, heal past pains, create a healthy identity. Most of the time, we're critiquing and criticizing ourselves internally, and that's not a healthy identity. So we talk about how to do that, and you take action with a game plan. That is living in the greatness mindset. That is stepping into your potential. That is showing up for yourself and your creator. The person, the thing, God that brought you into this life, it's showing up for yourself. Yeah. And that is the difference between a powerless mindset and a greatness mindset. You've done almost 1,400 episodes. What's the one that really stands out the most for you? Kobe stands out the most. Yeah. And he stood out the most before he passed. And because, you got him at such an interesting time, oh, too. You know, he's transitioning out of basketball, yes. just won an Oscar. It was, I felt very blessed and grateful to have had that experience because after it, I was like, this is my favorite episode. Because he, he was so loving and vulnerable and generous and kind with his energy. And it really inspired me to see... Him talk about love, him talk about yeah, relationships, yes. him talk about family, him talk about greatness is service. It's not about you winning at all costs. It's really about inspiring people around you. Now, I don't know if that's what he always thought and believed, but he was in that season in transition yeah. where it was like, you know, I just want to tell great stories. I want to like impact people. There's a lot of times when you do these where great stuff gets captured on camera, but then you see little moments yeah, off camera. Yeah. When the cameras aren't rolling, you go, ah, oh, I wish people would see that. I know. Or was it with COVID? He, uh, he was inspiring because I got there at, I can't, it was, must have been like 6.30 a.m. in Orange County at his office. And he was supposed to be like an 8 o'clock interview. So I was like, let me get there early and really set up. His assistant comes and lets me and uh, 
my filmer in and the lights are off. So she like unlocks the door and turns the lights, lights on in the office. We, she goes, okay, here's a place where we normally film. I didn't like the place, the location of it. We brought our own cameras and I said, can I just like look around the rest of the office? Yeah. And so she walked me down a hallway with kind of like glass conference rooms where you could see in the offices was the hallway with rooms on both sides into another big open space. She walked me down there. I didn't like that space. I go, let's walk back. So we walked back. I noticed like a shadow in one of these offices and it was Kobe was in there. Kobe was in there. He didn't see me. His back was to the, the window. Maybe he heard us, but he didn't see me. He didn't turn around. He was just kind of like looking up like this. The computer was off. He didn't have his phone on. He was looking up kind of in the, the ceiling, like just staring up. And I go, was that Kobe? To the assistant as we walked past. And yeah. he couldn't see, you know, he couldn't turn around anymore. I go, is that Kobe? He goes, yeah, he's been in here for like probably at least an hour. And he's the first one in here every day. And I go, wow. what? And he goes, she goes, uh, yeah, he was at the gym at like 4 a.m. with his daughter, the one that passed as well. Uh, she goes to the, he goes to the gym in the morning with her and then he comes here and he prepares and visualizes for the day. I'm thinking this is unbelievable. Wow. This guy just won a, uh, you know, an Oscar. He won the championships. He just retired and he had launched a podcast for kids called the punies at the time. That's what I was interviewing for. And I was so inspired to, to see it and to hear his assistant say, He's pretty much in here first every wow. day. And I go, this guy doesn't need to be. Of course he's, not. Yeah. He's got all the money. He's got all the success. He's got all the fame. He still shows up early. Wow. He's showing up for his daughter early. He's showing up for his business and his vision early. And I remember thinking like, okay, we actually set up right near them. So I could see a corner of his office, but I couldn't see him as we were setting up. And I got an hour and a half of like setup time. And now people are starting to come in. We're set up. I'm... I'm trying to get set up as quick as possible, thinking if he comes out here, I want to be ready for him. Sure. But as people start coming in, it's, you know, 7.30, 7.45, people start coming in, you know. Um, like the lights, someone goes in his office, another executive, the lights finally turn on at like 7.40 or something. And I'm just thinking, when's he going to come out? I have no idea. But I knew I only had 20 minutes with him based on what his team is telling me. And he had a, pretty robust team there to make sure that I was like, here, he had two pages of things of what I can't ask. Yeah. Uh, you know, you've got 20 minutes. There's another production crew who's actually a uh, little Wayne had a production crew setting up right on the other side of the office for something like HBO sports or some interview thing he was doing with, with Kobe right after me. So they were like, you've got 20 minutes. He's yeah. got to do this interview right afterwards. Here are two, two pages of things you cannot say. Um, don't, and don't go over like they're a serious, right? Strict. Of course. Yeah. You've been there many times in those situations and I'm thinking, okay, I got to make sure I connect with him in a way where he opens up in these 20 minutes because usually it takes five, 10 minutes just to get people in the flow. Right. What am I going to ask him two questions and then it's over. Yeah. So he literally comes out three minutes before eight. And I'm telling Tiffany, my filmer at the time, or producer at the time, I said, Tiffany, like, make sure I'm mic'd up, make sure cameras are rolling, you know, now. So when he sits down, we don't have to set anything up. Just start rolling it, have the mic ready. As he comes and shakes my hand, put the mic on him, because mm -hmm. I want to be in it as fast as we can. 
And I'm thinking to myself, what's a way that I can connect with Kobe Bryant in three minutes so that I get the maximum out of this 20 minutes? Yeah. And I remember thinking, I've got to connect with him on a personal level. And so right away, I just said, Kobe, so nice to meet you. He came up, he shaked my hand. He goes, hey, good to meet you. I said, Kobe, so great to meet you. And I just wanted to say, I have a lot of friends who went to the Olympics when you were there. And they all said how inspired they were most by you showing up to their games, taking photos with them, mm. shaking their hand, being a part of the athlete's village. So I just want to say it's really cool that, that you did that. Um, and I just think it's a cool story to hear that from so many people. And he yeah. goes, man, the Olympics were amazing. That was, it's one of my favorite times. It was like, oh, oh that's so great much fun. That you've opened them up. Yeah. And then, um, and then I said, um, you know, I played, uh, at the time I was playing with the USA uh, handball team and I go, you know, I play with the USA handball team and, um, uh, you know, I'm still trying to pursue to make it there myself, but I haven't experienced the Olympics yet. Was it, what was it like? And he goes, you play handball? He goes, dude, I played handball in Italy growing up. Wow. He goes, I love the sport. He used to play it in school. It's such an amazing sport. That's so cool. You play the sport. And I go, yeah, that's, it's amazing. And uh, we talked about that for 30 seconds. And then I go, by the way, we've got some mutual friends who just say that you're like such a good human and you're a great friend to these friends. And he's like, oh, who do we know? And I said, Novak Djokovic talks, talk highly of you, a couple of people. He stops me. He goes, Novak is my brother. This mm. guy is amazing. He's such a competitor and a great athlete. And oh my God, it's inspiring how he is just at the top of his game and his sport. And, and I said, you know, I've got these, I know we've only got 20 minutes and I've got these pages of like, what's off limits. Is there anything else that's off limits that you don't want to talk about? That's, that's not on here. And he looks at me and he grabs my leg and he goes, take as long as you want and ask me any question. Wow. And I was just like in awe. I was like, okay. Now his team's back there like, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, but for him to say that, yeah, you know, I wasn't asking him these questions on this thing. I was going to be respectful, but sure. he gave me the permission to be open with him. Yeah. You, and, and, and then you had built that rapport with him, which I yeah. think is the most important thing with an interview. Yeah. Who's the guest you want to get? You still haven't got. I mean, I, I was funny. I was thinking about this this morning. Um, I've, when I launched the podcast, for whatever reason, I had like a top five okay. that I wanted. Yeah. And I haven't had any of them still, which is, you know, so it's still a journey. But The Rock was on there. Um, Sylvester Stallone was on there. Uh, Oprah was on there. Jim Carrey was on there. And Barack was on there. Um, it was part of like kind of my top five. I still haven't had I've any. I interviewed of them. three of them. That's great, man. It's inspiring. <laughs> but not for an hour, you know. Yeah, there's yeah. a big difference between doing a five minute movie junket yeah, yeah. for Rambo, which I did for Sylvester Stallone. Although I've interviewed The Rock ten times now. Yeah, no, I've seen I've seen he's, a lot of your clips, man. He's the best. You guys are like boys. Well, yeah. you want to talk about like a moment off camera that nobody else sees? The last time I saw him, I interviewed him for Black Adam. Right. And I happened to be at the hotel the night before seeing my buddy. We were just about to go see the movie. And my buddy Jake goes, hey, let's hold here for a second because that's The Rock's security guy, which means The Rock's going to be in the vicinity soon. So five minutes later, sure enough, Rock walks out. And I thought, oh, that's cool. Maybe he'll wave to us. He walks over and goes, I haven't seen The Rock at this point in four years in person. Since the last time you interviewed right. him. Right. Yeah. Uh, so four years in person, it's been since I saw him last. And he goes, Jake, Chris, how you guys been? 
Chris, you still living in Miami? That's <laughs> amazing. First of all, you didn't need to walk over at yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fact that you remembered our names, yeah, that just speaks to who he it's is. It's inspiring, yeah. I've heard a lot of stories about him from he mu sees mutual people. friends. Yeah. That's, he, he makes the moment special. He's self-aware enough to know he's, he's one of the biggest stars in the world. Yes. And you, you're going to tell people about this experience. Yeah. So he turns the moment around and makes it important and memorable for you. Yeah. And it's a great moment. So I hope that it happens for you. One day, you know, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. But I, I think um, so. I want it to be the right timing for both of us if that's if that's the case. It, it'll happen. Yeah. As we start to wind things down, I love the question that you ask at the end of your podcast mm -hmm. about the three truths. Yes. Where did you develop that question from? I think it started like six or seven years ago. I was I was just I was trying to think of more creative ways to ask questions for people to reflect at the end of their life, as opposed mm -hmm. to a lot of people are asking questions like, what do you want on your tombstone? Or what do you want people to say at your funeral? Or things like this. And I was yeah, like, yeah. okay, that's that's interesting. Yeah, Tim Ferriss asks an interesting one about like, if you could buy a billboard and it could have one sentence on it, mm. what would the sentence be? That's cool. Yeah, that's cool. I think I was just trying to, one day it just kind of came to me. I go, you know, if it's your last day and we didn't have anything to to be remembered by you and all of your work was disappeared. Yeah. Like what are three things yeah, that you want the world paper. to know? Yeah, and, and this is all we would have left to remember you by what would be those three things and i think it brings people to a a true reflection point of like oh i've said a lot these are like authors who've said a lot and written books and whatever have a lot of videos online and, and they're like oh there's a lot of things i've said but if it all had to go away mm. what is the most meaningful things i could say and i think it just allows people to really reflect and start to think about their life differently and what they really want the world to know and be you know, important for them as lessons. And so that's been, it's been a beautiful thing to hear so many people talk about these three truths. You really put people on the spot. A lot of people I know. are like, oh, I, know. I don't know. What is it for you? What are your three truths? I mean, today as we sit here, because I'm sure it shifts a lot. Mm -hmm. The first one is, do whatever you can to take care of your health. Um, I think the older I get, I just see people who struggle because of their health. So this is all areas, mental, emotional, yeah. spiritual, physical health. That is, should be your number one priority in life, to take care of your energy and your health yeah. first. You've had Robin Sharma on your show, right? Yep. Yep. He talks about... I he does like two massages a week, and he's done this and that, and he's like... I always mess this phrase up, but he basically says that health is the jewel on the crown of that uh, of the well man that only the sick man can see. Yeah. So basically like you don't even realize you have it right until it's gone. Until it's gone. Mm -hmm. And there you know what do they say there's another line that I'm going to butcher that it's like um a healthy man has a million problems the a sick, sick man, man has, has one. one something like that yeah. where it's true when you're sick and immobile and you can't move yes or you can't speak or you you're in so much pain that's your main focus yeah so lesson number 1 truth number 1 mm -hmm. is to do whatever you can to take care and nurture your health yep. every day on all levels whatever is causing you pain and sickness get to the root of it and then be in prevention mode for the rest of your life That'd be number one. Number two would be to express gratitude and appreciation for 
the people in your life as often as possible. Again, I believe that we are in a world where we want to be seen and acknowledged for who we are, who we truly are. And yet it's hard for us to acknowledge others. There's a lost art of appreciation and acknowledgement that when done properly can build incredible connection with friends, family, communities in the world, mm. wherever you want to connect with. So express gratitude and appreciation for what you have and the people in your life as frequently as possible. And the third one would be is truly like in the pursuit of your dreams, make a positive impact on the people around you as much as you can. Again, we are in this world to experience and explore, but I really believe service is the great, the greatest joy that you can receive, the greatest gift you can receive. So pursue what you want, but make an impact on people yeah. around you as well. I want to acknowledge you because you always show up and everything you're doing is in service of others. And sometimes when we're creating, it certainly feels like we're doing this in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're sitting here, there's three of us in this room, <laughs> me, you, and Jeff over here, who's doing such a great job producing this. And I feel like it's difficult sometimes to realize that this is reaching everybody else, but that's what all your content mm. does. Uh, and the conversations that you have with people change people's lives mm. when they're listening to it. So I just want to acknowledge you for that. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it, Chris. And I'm so glad that we were able to connect in person on this. Me too, man. I've been watching your stuff for a long time. So I'm excited that we Likewise. finally met and connected. And thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. The question that I end every episode with uh, ties into your number two, actually. It's about gratitude. Uh huh. And I practice gratitude every, every day. I say out loud three things I'm grateful for at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day. It's beautiful. What are three things in your life as you sit here right now that you're grateful for? I'm grateful for meeting you in this moment. I'm grateful for my health and the ability to move and run and jump and lift and play um, pain-free. And I'm grateful for my girlfriend, Martha. She, she truly has taught me what authentic love really means. And it's been a beautiful journey. So I'm excited and grateful for her. I love that, man. Well, congratulations on the new book, on everything. And uh, I can't wait to uh, sit down with you again and do this another time. My man. Appreciate it, Chris. Thanks, bud. All right, my friends. Big thank you to Lewis for joining us in studio. And thank you for joining us in there as well. There was, man, so much value here. I, I love this conversation. And I hope that there's one or two things here that you'll be able to start implementing in your life right now right as this episode is ending right now. Take a screenshot on your phone and let us know that you're listening. Tag us. Lewis is at Lewis Howes. I'm at Chris Van Vliet. Go grab his new book called The Greatness Mindset, Unlock the Power of Your Mind and Live Your Best Life Today. You can grab that wherever you get your books or go to lewishowes.com to find that or find out more info about that. Brian Tracy has this great quote, which I will share with you as we wrap this up. Successful people are simply those with successful habits. Be great, be grateful. We will see you on the next one for some more insight.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC. 